Oh, Holy that was... fuck, that was nice. Camo, which I'll do all that at the same time as the camo netting. <clears throat> oh, crushed life, lads. Oh, boy, I really need to do the shopping for my house. I am so out of bloody <laughs> antacids, it's not even funny. And oh, those wings are kicking my ass, and my throat, and my heart, and everything. More so, more so your ass, but yeah. <laughs> oh, that's going to be later on, eh? I can tell you. <laughs> You know, you know when you ha- you know when you eat something spicy and you're like, this is really, really good. I am gonna pay for this later. Yep, oh yeah, all the time, almost every day. <laughs> <laughs> Beth's just in the house and you just hear this high pitched screaming and he's just and she's just sitting there going, yep, it's hit the hit second stage. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty accurate. <laughs> Uh, buddy that I work with, it's like all the time I always tease about, you know, he just loves torturing his asshole because he just eats spicy stuff all the time. And so now that he's good. getting older, it's like he's 35 now. He's like, man, oh, yeah. I can't fucking do this uh, all the time anymore. <laughs> yeah, brother's gonna slow down or his body's gonna make yeah. him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it also just like kind of screws up your inside a little bit if you have too much of a day. Yeah, it'll yeah. mess up your yeah. stomach lining. And you hear about people like people have never eaten, say, uh, chili before in their life, and they go straight to like a Carolina Reaper, and they pass out from it and end up in fucking hospitals. Jesus Christ! Weak. So you're usually oh, a group of like white girls on TikTok or like YouTube Shorts that do that, and it's hilarious to watch. Oh my God, Stephanie, try this. Also, I also watched a guy. He put. He tried. Um, he put a Carolina, a dried Carolina Reaper in his bong and tried to. Oh, yeah, uh, that was hell, that was funny to watch. It was oh, so I bet funny. it was. <laughs> Why? It's like, hey, guess what? It burns to breathe now. <laughs> <laughs> it's like idiot. <laughs> you look at him, go, what? What was going through your mind at that time? I don't even think Bro knows. <laughs> Probably or like not. that one guy who drank bleach on YouTube and like threw up blood. Did you guys ever see that back in like 012? Don't think so. Uh, don't think I did. Yeah, I was like drinking bleach challenge when all those like challenges were going on. And oh, like did during it. the Tide Pod challenge stuff? It, and... Yeah, it was, it was before the Tide Pod one, but yeah, it's essentially that time frame. Oh. And he, uh, yeah, he... <laughs> Threw up blood right after, and then kept drinking bleach. <laughs> it's like, you guys you remember the hot stupid. coil challenge? The what? No, the hot coil challenge where people that have like you know the old school electric ovens with the coil, and yep. they would you know get it fucking red hot and then put their hand or their arm on it. What the fuck? I was never big into all those challenges things. Yeah, like, I wasn't either. Which is which is weird because I was like. An idiot? Like, well, okay, I mean, partially, <laughs> yes, but not for that reason. <laughs> I was a fucking teen, like, young teenager, so it's like, you would think that would have been my time frame, but 
was like, ah, oh, these people are stupid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, say, say is the guy who went into the Marines at 18. I mean... Actually, I went at when I was 20, but I tried going at 18. I tried going at 16, actually. So, yeah, you get a point. <laughs> you wanted that. I did. And then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then isn't the Marines just basically, like, in a nutshell, like, internet challenges, but as a job? Uh, only on the weekends, because people get <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> like, we, uh, like, Val was asking some stuff about, because he's joining the Bundeswehr. And uh, <laughs> he was <laughs> he was like, "What's some weird things that happen?" So I told him about how, like, when you go to the field, if you've got like kind of shitty seniors, they'll uh, they'll make you and another new guy go to a porter john and have a <laughs> contest, and whoever <laughs> wins, whoever finishes first, fucking <laughs> fucking doesn't get fucked up, but the other guy who is forced to finish anyways has to get fucked up. <laughs> Oh, this shit sounds horrible, but it was entertainment when you're stuck in the desert for four months. Uh, well, that's that that story's in the recording, and I'm not sure if that should stay in the recording. <laughs> and we need yeah. more uh, more Patreon shit. So, <laughs> and on that note, I might just I might just bleep it out, but then put the uncensored version on uh, Patreon. Yes. Yeah. Please do. On that you're note. Welcome. On that note, um, unfortunately, this is the Micro Machines podcast where <laughs> you learn some stuff and you don't want to learn some stuff, but you still learn some stuff. Hi, <laughs> I'm the problem. <laughs> Always against your will. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure there's something. I'm going to have to read the uh, legal terms and conditions on that one um, for the uh, YouTube. But anyway. Welcome to the Micro Machines Podcast. Uh, this week, we'll be talking about the uh, Messerschmitt BF-110, the best world's best fighter in the world. But before we do excuse that... Excuse me, excuse me. We've already done the world's best fighter, and it was a Corsair, okay? Sit down in your place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, so, how does it feel to be wrong all the time? I don't know. Are you talking to the mirror right now? <laughs> I'm just Josh. Uh, Let's get into it. So before we get into the BF110, we should probably do some introductions. So you, of course, you've got me, Callum, filling in for Dennis for doing the intros because he's got work. Nerd. And I'm sitting here in a very, very warm New Zealand where it's pissing and down with rain, but it's really, really muggy and humid and unpleasant. Oof. Oh yeah, well, uh, it's, it's that nice combination. Oh, sounds like it. Well, uh, you got me, Garrison, out here in Kansas. It's like fucking fifty degrees. It's nice. I'm down in the basement working on a a nice little building, which you'll see later. Drinking a coffee. Nice. And you got me, Clint, out here in Indiana. It is currently a nice, nice, balmy twenty-four degrees Fahrenheit with snow on the ground. Lucky and bastard. I have a nice bottle mm -hmm. of water. No Pepsi. And I'm out of Pepsi. We literally just changed your name in the Discord. I drink more water than I do Pepsi, my man. So. <sighs> well, that's not what you say. So does that mean we're going to have Sorry. water? Does that mean we're going to have a water boy with pool boy in the <laughs> server now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, little little update on old pool boy. 
He finally got his driver's license after the seventh attempt. Wait, who is this? He SpongeBob that shit. <laughs> Who's uh, Paul, uh, Paul Boy? Paul he was um, Riley, my one of my coworkers. He was my assistant out on the site, and he uh, failed his driver's his restricted driver's license. So he's still got to get his full one, you know, in a year, about a year. But seven attempts to get his restricted license, and he finally got it. <sighs> Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> You were right. He did SpongeBob that shit. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're going to be talking about the BF110, but I won't be talking about the BF110. In fact, Clint is going to be talking about the BF110 because he is he likes German stuff and is weird. So, <laughs> Clint? Yes, both. Both. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the floor is yours. The accuracy is on point tonight, gents. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Like you know, just like Garrison enjoys being wrong all the time. All right, so the Mister Skater BF110 Destroyer or Destroyer. Uh, let's uh, go ahead and click to the next slide. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, red dream for oh Herman Goring. <laughs> you would Kill never, him. you would never believed he was a transvestite. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh Jesus! I think there's a joke or a rumor about Goring, uh, Goring being a transvestite. I've never heard that one. <laughs> How's it feel to know uh, to know our ancestors were that way, Clint? <sighs> uh, a little sad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just trying to figure out how this man ever got in an aircraft. He yeah, must have been very skinny fucking... during World War One. They didn't have yeah. to shoehorn him in that damn thing. <laughs> hey, Goring, why is your biplane so round? <laughs> got that extra comfortable cab. He'd he'd only ever be able to fit in, say, uh, D five Albatross. You know the ones that's just a round round tube, just so he can like fit in. <laughs> Still barely. He probably wouldn't be able to reach all the controls. <laughs> oh, he definitely affected the the um, center of gravity. Oh, for sure. He's got like grab handles up and shit. He's got a grab to turn his body to hit certain controls. <laughs> <laughs> What's the huge like six inch cargo plane they had? Was the three two three? Oh, the, uh, the, the uh, Gigant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, there you go. <laughs> 323. I think even that would struggle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. anyway. The, the BF-110, a red train for Hermann Goring. It began in 1934 with the... Sp- sorry. Sorry, I can't talk this. right now. <laughs> with, the, with the what now? <laughs> <laughs> with a specification from the RLM for a destroyer or a a, a bomber and destroyer, a twin engine fighter bomber in a way, that should have the equivalent speed to a single engine fighter, but with considerably more range and firepower. A f- of course, there was a favorite design of the Reich Marshal here, Mr. Goring. Uh, the Mr. Smith BF-110 was a sleek, twin-engine heavy fighter with a top speed of almost 350 miles per hour. Holy shit. Slightly faster than the single-engine Hurricane and almost as fast as the Spitfire of its time. That's actually insane. That's it, yeah. Uh, the outcome was a design uh, produced by Willie Mr. Smith here on the, on the right, who was the chief designer for the Bavarian Aircraft Works. And that See, was why this looked- aircraft... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, he looks like he could fit in an aircraft. Oh, yeah. He designed many of them. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
Uh, that's why this aircraft was given the RLM designation of BF, since the company wouldn't become Messerschmitt until 1938. Uh, only aircraft designed by the company uh, after this time were given the ME designation. That's a lot, uh, one thing a lot of people get uh, like confusing is like you you see people call their uh, 110 and the 109. Like, is it the ME 109 or is it the BF 109? And at that point, is it more just like your preference? Um, I mean, like I said, it's like Mr. Smith that was working for the Bavarian Aircraft Works or Bavarian Flug, Flugzug Work. <laughs> uh, yes, that German. <laughs> so that's that's where we get the BF, the Flugzug, Bavarian Flugzug. <laughs> I guess that's why the uh, the 262 isn't called the BF 262 then. Exactly, because it was produced by Mr. Smith. I'll still call the I'll, I'll still call the uh, one hundred nine and the one ten the BF. I just can't oh, help yeah. it now. <laughs> no, definitely. Old habits die hard. Just like I, earring. Uh, <laughs> 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 I can't stop eating the sauerkraut. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, let's uh, next slide, please. All right, the V1, V2, and V3. This was the V1 here. You can see the early style canopy. And, of course, no uh, armaments in the nose. And uh, what... This... Yeah? So, what was this, uh, you know, originally uh, called? Because, you know, this is probably during the time where the Germans were not so keen on actually telling the rest of the world what the plane was designed for. It was... Uh, from what, what I've gathered, it was just called the BF-110 V1. Okay, so but like, it wasn't like designated as, say, a, mar a mail carrier, which was like code for reconnaissance or something like that. No, no, it no. wasn't. At least not from any of the research I could do. I've got about six books on the on the BF-110 that I've been going through to put this together. and have six Wiki books? And some other stuff. Garrison, yeah. we need an intervention. Hey, Clint, I know you really like these, buddy, but I think it's time we put them down. <laughs> we, think, we think you have a problem, and it's, you know, this is coming from a place of love. <laughs> There's this wonderful group down at the local chapel that meet every week, okay? <laughs> we'll go with you if you want. <laughs> oh, uh, anyway. Anyway. <laughs> uh. The design produced by Mr. Smith was for a sleek, all-metal cantilever monoplane with twin rudders and a stressed alloy skin. Power was to be provided by a pair of the newly developed Daimler-Benz DB600 engines, each producing around 900 horsepower, which is nice. just blistering at the time. And, and it was also Zooming. a V12. That's cool. Uh, flight testing of the first prototype uh, began in May 1936. And the new aircraft proved easy in flight and in early trials achieved a speed of over 315 miles an hour. Holy shit. Let's see. The V-2 completed on the 24th of October, 1936. Also used two Daimler-Benz DB600 engines. And it was assigned directly to the Luftwaffe Test Center at the Reichland. Uh, test pilots were pleased with its speed but disappointed in its maneuverability. Well, you mean, you mean I mean, yeah, look at it. Look at it. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, the V-3 was the same airframe as the V-1 and the V-2, but it was intended as a weapon-sussing aircraft and had nose change ar- had different noses to change out to test different armaments. Uh, not really sure what armaments was all tested on these original ones, but uh, when we get further along, the we can get into the what the A model had. Right, uh, looks, next slide. Looks very soft, the uh, V versions, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, especially with nothing in the nose. Yeah, I mean, it does look cool. I'll give it that. I mean, I would, oh. I would ha- like all those uh, the German V marks, like the one hundred nine, the one ten, or you know, their their early prototype ones. I would love to have a model of something like that. You know, the the earliest ones. How do we know you're going to say that? Oh, uh, you know, I'm uh, <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah, like, especially like some uh, Spanish Civil War like one hundred nines. Oh yes, shit! Yes, I yes. would love to do a whole bunch of Spanish Civil War. German aircraft like the 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 Condors, um, Heinkel HS one two three, early like the BF one hundred nine, like B and C and D they used. Um, yeah, I'd love love to do all those. Of anyway. course, the the V series was powered by the DB six hundred engine. Uh, the RLM set out requirements in the early nineteen thirties for an engine to drive the latest generation of aircraft in the Luftwaffe's arsenal. DB-600 was the first variant of the liquid-cooled inverted V-12. It had a displacement of 33.9 liters. The AB models produced 960, uh, 986 horsepower at 2400 RPMs at sea level. The DB-600C and D was used in the Vs, producing slightly less power at 838 horsepower, but the power was uh, available at 2250 RPMs. Seems Next weird one. having um, inverted engines, doesn't it? Uh, not really. Um, most of your aircraft engines end up being inverted. That was something I only re- learned recently, which uh, you know <clears throat> makes sense. I mean, I only learned recently how they managed to do the the whole machine gun or cannon firing through the propeller boss. How yeah. did they do that? Yeah, it just went right through the center of the engine, right through yeah. the uh, drive shaft. Yeah. Oh. I yeah. I don't know why I didn't know that. Well, I, just I think it had something through. to do with oil uh, pumping through. It's easier to pump oil through an inverted engine in the air. I think, yeah, I think there's something like that. I was, yeah. Anyway, shite monologue along. Let's get into the A's. All right. The AO. The initial deliveries of the AO. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to. <laughs> uh, I, I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the initial deliveries of the BF-110 encountered severe delays with the DB-600 engines, which forced them to install the Junkers Jumo 210B engines, leaving the BF-110 seriously underpowered and only able to reach a top speed of 268 miles an hour. Armament consisted of four fixed MG-17s, which is 7.92 millimeters, which is your, what, 8 millimeter Mauser? Yep, yep. Uh, these was in the nose with one movable MG-15, 8mm, uh, Mauser machine gun in the rear cockpit canopy. And Red. you can see it still has the old-style glazing. And the nose as well. It's got that bulbous, more bulbous rounded nose than the uh, sort of sharper ones you see later on, eh? Mm-hmm. And I of course, if... the, the pre-war uh, insignia on the tail. Oh, yeah. Look at that. So. I wonder how good the uh, MG15 was as an actual like flexible mount, because like you've only got a seventy-five round dual mag on the top, haven't you? Uh, 
it's is it on the top or is it on the side? I think it's on the side. I thought it was on. The, I thought it was a top feed. I know the twenty millimeter cannon's a top feed. Yeah, I have a feeling the MG15 it had the like twin snail um, type uh, drums, and it just slapped on the top with like, and it fed into the middle. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. It did, yeah. and it fed. Yeah, it fed towards the middle. Yeah, and you had the two sides rotating, um, changing either side to um, what you know, feeding on either side into the one sort of port. Because mm-hmm. didn't the MG15 have like an insanely high rate of fire? Yeah, it wasn't. Uh... I mean, the it wasn't as fast as the thirty-eight or the forty-two, but yeah, was it? I'm sure. Hang on, I need to I need to search this up because I'm sure it was um fairly. It was a fairly high rate of fire, just because you know engine defense uh, aircraft a defensive armament uh, do better as a high rate of fire and just sort of dump a whole lot of lead into a certain area. <laughs> Unless it's like the the thirty four and the forty two, I mean the forty two, where you can like switch the rate of fire. I've seen footage from them like strafing Russian units on the ground from the nose, and it really wasn't too fast. Uh, MG fifteen rate of fire one thousand to one thousand and fifty RPM. Ah, hmm. yeah, can you switch the rate of fire? I don't think you can. Because I, I think, like, you see how it's got the um, the the shoulder pad, uh, shoulder mm-hmm. thing there. I have a feeling that would that turned up later in the war when it was converted into an infantry weapon because they were running out of things. They had a ton of MG15, so like later in the war they stuck a bipod and a uh, shoulder stock onto an MG15. I think originally they just had like, hang on, where's their thing? Uh, we are out of aircraft and 42s. Take the 15s. I think I think they just it was like cut off here, and like yeah. that that was the aerial. And then when it turned into an infantry weapon, they stuck a shitty shoulder stock on it and then put a bipod. I think <laughs> I think you can see it right there. Oops. But yeah, they tried to turn that into a uh, last ditch infantry weapon. The B series, the first production version, the BF 110B1 began to be delivered in very limited numbers to the first newly created destroyer units in the autumn of 1938. Aircraft was initially designed for a crew of three, a pilot, navigator, and radio operator, and rear gunner. However, in service, most of the early BF-110s carried just two crew, the pilot and the radio operator who doubled as the gunner. As the DB-600 engines continued to have problems, they were forced to keep on using the Jumo motors, but now the new 210G Jumo, which supplied 720 horsepower. Uh, Three versions of the BF-110B were built, the B-1, which had four 7.92MG-17s, and two 20mm MG-FF cannons. The B-2 was the reconnaissance version, which had a camera in place of the cannons, and the B-3, which was used as a trainer, with the cannons replaced with extra radio equipment. Only 45 BF-110Bs were built before the Jumo 210G engine production line ended, and the major identifier of the A and B series was uh, the large, very large radiators under each uh, each ring, as you can see in this picture. kind of looks like the JU-88. Well, that, no, uh, that would be more closer to the Heinkel HE-111. I don't think the yeah, JU-88 yeah. had... I think they had a... They were, um, no, they, yeah, that was radials. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah, the Heinkel. Yeah. And we get to the C-series. 
In late 1938, the DB601B1 engines became available finally. With the new engine, the design teams removed the radiators under the engine nasals and replaced them with uh, water glycol radiators for the C-series airframes. Placing them under the rings just outboard of each nasal, otherwise similar in insulation, appearance and function to those of the BF109E. So you can see now it's like the under the engine, we no longer have them big radiators, but instead now they're got like the ring mounted ones like the 109s. With the DB601 engine, the BF110's maximum speed increased to 336 miles per hour, with a range of 680 miles and 910 horsepower. And that's, you know, per engine. How uh, long small a flight oil, time is that? Uh, range of 680 miles. That's pretty good. Pretty, pretty far, that's like, yeah. That's like, what, like five hours? Four to five hours cruising, probably. A small oil cooler and air scoop uh, remained under each engine nasal, which uh, that's what the, just the little opening under the engine is now. And these was there for the entirety of the production run. The new DB601 engine used direct fuel injection, which was the... I think the first engine in an aircraft to ever use uh, fuel injection. Hmm. Uh, this gave it a huge advantage over the early versions of the Rolls-Royce Merlin, because in a lot of dogfight situations, the carburetor float bowl would run dry, starving the engine of fuel. Awkward. Well, especially if you, they tried to um, do a nose like nose dive or something too quick, uh, you mm -hmm. can hear you can hear it sort of cut out. Or they couldn't do they couldn't go inverted or anything like that. So see, we had the first the C1. Which it was uh, had the same armaments as the B series, except it now has the 601 engine. Uh, the C2 was fitted with just uh, upgraded radios. It went from the FUG3, which is the one down on the right, to the FUG10, which is the one next to it that we commonly see in model kits of the BF110. Uh, the C3, it had an upgraded uh, cannon from 20 millimeters to 30 millimeters. Oof. Nice. Uh, the C4 was an upgraded crew armor, mostly for ground attack. There was the C4B, which is a fighter bomber, based on the C4, uh, fitted with a pair of ETC 500 bomb racks and upgraded uh, 601BA engines, which I cannot find... Uh, how much horsepower was upgraded to. The BA did have a little bit more horsepower from the regular 601 line. Uh, the C5 was the reconnaissance version. Uh, both of the cannons was removed and an RB5030 camera was installed. That's uh, what we got here in the center. Uh, the C6 camera. was an experimental uh, with an addition of the 30mm Mach 101 cannon in an under-fuselage mount, and it also had the DP-601P engine, which, again, I cannot find just how much horsepower that was, but it was upgraded horsepower. And then lastly of the C-Series, we had the C-7, which was a fighter bomber based on the C-4B with uh, two of the ETC-500 centerline bomb racks capable of carrying either two 250-pound, 500, or 100-kilogram bombs and the upgraded DB-601 engine. And it was variants of uh, this version that would see combat for the first time with varying degrees of success during, uh, during the opening stages of World War II. Uh, I love that. Uh, success until things got difficult, really. Right. It's like uh, going yeah. through the European countries, yeah, it's fine, and then they hit the Air Royal Air Force and say, yeah, we're not good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's really that south. they... 
it really wasn't that they was underperform. It's just the role that they was forced to play. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, as a as a ground attack, it does really well. Oh yeah. Well, even as a fighter, it did. Pretty- that was just easy to shoot down as well. And again, that was because of the role that they was forced to be in. It's like they was forced to be in a close. Uh, close support role with the bombers, so they could only fly as high and fast as the JU-88s were flying. I gotta say that C5 reconnaissance one on the top right, that uh, camo scheme looks awesome. Yeah, good. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know how you'd paint it, but swirlies. <laughs> well, kind of, it kind of looks like you know, up at the top you got just solid. It would be looks like it'd be like splinterish. Yeah, it's splinter it, on top. Then and then it goes mottled down to yeah, and then it's whatever that color is. It looks very, very weathered and dirty. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, those panels look very uh, stained, which pleases me. I'm not me. sure if that's a that's colorized not true. photo or aircraft. Photo. <laughs> aircraft don't get dirty, Callum. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> get your facts right. <laughs> You know, I wonder. Looking, looking at this right, the the, the canopy to get yeah. in in a bailout situation. I wonder what you're supposed to do. Like, you got the top that goes up, but then you got to try and like climb up a, above like the bit that falls up to the side. Or do you like have to try and open the whole thing? Because like trying to open this, um, like push something to the side when you're in a slipstream is reportedly very difficult. Um, one reason the BF-109 uh, pilots didn't like the uh, canopy was because it swings out to the side. You're trying to kind of push it against another force that's like pushing against it one way. Mm-hmm. I'm just wonder, like, I wonder how this one would be like. I think, I guess I mean, you'd... They are smaller, so maybe it'd be easier. Yeah. I mean, my, my guess is you'd probably just open the top one and then just flip yeah. upside down. Bon voyage. I'm sure as soon as you crack the top one, you know, the wind speed just throws it back. <laughs> yeah, it'll just disappear. <laughs> yeah. Breaks it. <laughs> Snap, fuck it. We don't need it anymore anyways. Yeah. I will I will say, I'd love to get a decal sheet for this one, just because also the nose art just looks cool. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out that. It looks kind of like a fox. It's like a fox and a little devil. Or a ho- or yeah. maybe it's a hog. It looks like it's got like little tusks there. I don't could be. Surrogate oh. on the ground! I don't know. <laughs> Looks cool, though. I like it. I will... Uh, one one thing for the BF-110. Their nose arts and stuff like that looked freaking awesome. Oh, yeah. Like they, At least they got something right. I mean, they're German. They get a lot of shit right. Unlike many of the other Luftwaffe aircraft, the BF-110 was not used during the Spanish Civil War. Seen in combat for the first time during the joint German-Russian invasion of Poland in September of 1939. Uh, Hermann Göring reportedly ordered the the destroyer units to make all the Luftwaffe's BF-110s available for operation. According to the Luftwaffe Order of Battle, a total of 102 BF-110s were used in the September campaign, with a loss of about 10 aircraft. Oh, Polish that's actually pretty were... good odds. Oh, yeah. Uh, Polish pilots were unfamiliar with the 110 and often identified them as bombers. Uh, future ace and commander of the night fighters uh, units, the not Jagd Schrader 1, Wolfgang Falk, scored his first kills over Poland. Uh, Fox unit, which was uh, ZG-76, claimed 31 kills during the campaign. 
and uh, LG-1 also contributed, escorting German bomber formations on attacks against Warsaw. The unit claimed 30 kills on the first day. Uh, Polish fighter units reported a 17% loss rate on this day. This rose to 72% loss rate in five days. Uh, JGR-2 also claimed 28 aerial victories and 50 ground victories during the first five days. Holy fuck. Yeah. They were just <laughs> clapping cheeks. Oh, yeah. But you have to remember, I mean, they was going up against, what, biplanes and crap like that? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, if they're in Poland, there would have been the uh, the PZL-24, which is like, uh, wasn't a very good uh, fighter. I mean, well, let's face it, it's a monoplane with a, with a, high, with a high wing, which is, you know, st- more better for stability, not aerobatics yeah C- could you could you imagine how fun that shit would have been it's like shooting fish in a barrel <laughs> essentially <laughs> pretty much it's like no, of course a... yeah okay good it's like does this really count it's like a bit like um <laughs> ju-87s later in the war when when it got to the point like even in the battle of britain they were shooting them down so often that it's like one doesn't even count as a kill <laughs> which is like insulting to the guys who are like flying and dying in them even though they were German, yeah. it's like, well, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you got to be a little bit like, really? It's like, bro, they heard Hans crying on his way down to the fucking earth, okay? It's a kill. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, uh, you know, after Poland, that's when uh, England and France uh, declared war on Germany, but for some reason didn't declare war on Russia, which... You have to think, why are they so pissed off that Russia's invading Ukraine now, since they wasn't didn't care about Poland? But, you know, that's a, that's a different episode. <laughs> uh, now, now we want people to... Now it's reversed. Now we want people to invade Poland just to see what happens. <laughs> right? <laughs> Fucking ironclad and wishing a motherfucker would. <laughs> uh, most of the units protecting Western Germany from aerial attacks were equipped with the BF-109, but one of the BF-110 units assigned to air defense in this sector was LG-1. On the 23rd November of 1939, the BF-110 claimed its first Allied victim when LG-1 BF-10s engaged and shot down a... Okay, this is some French plane. A Moran Sarliner MS-406? Doesn't uh, count. The Mo- uh, Moran Solner. Moran Solner, okay. That's, that's the <laughs> plane. That's the French. That's the plane I built for my uh, North Africa. Oh, okay. Yep. yep. Then I know what that looks like now. And it was part of the Armée de la Air over Verdun. And then just three weeks later, on 18th December of 1939, uh, BF-110 participated in the first German victory over the British in World War II. RAF Bomber Command sent 22 Vicar Rollington bombers to attack the German naval base at Wilmshaven, Despite, despite ha- help from BF-109 units, it was the BF-110 which excelled in the bomber-destroyer role. By the end of the fighting, the Germans had claimed 11 Relingtons destroyed and 6 damaged. Some sources nice. claim a 12th Relington was also destroyed, or did not make it back to base. Uh, the raid cons- convinced the RAF Bomber Command to consider abandoning daylight bombings of Germany in favor of night actions. And next that slide. sounds familiar. Yeah. All right, now we get into the invasions of Denmark and Norway. Yes, <clears throat> even though we really call it an invasion. 
I mean, kind of yeah, open, welcome <laughs> with open arms a little bit there. That's fair. <laughs> uh, the BF-110 saw considerable action during Operation uh, Rosenbung, the invasion of Denmark and Norway. Two uh, units, ZG-1 and ZG-76, uh, were committed with 64 aircraft. The BF-110s destroyed 25 Danish military aircraft stationed at the Valorluz Air Base on 9th of April uh, through ground strafing alone. One Danish Fokker CV didn't manage to get airborne was immediately shot down. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, that's, 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 did the pilot yell out, spawn kill? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> Just yell out, stop spawn camping! <laughs> that's, uh, that's a lot like playing uh, World War II fucking... Uh, Battlefield? No, no, but it's a VR game. Uh, World War II flights in my play. And like a lot of like Chinese people play it, and they love to spawn camp. It's really obnoxious. And then they get really mad when you spawn camp. It's like... Hypocrites. <laughs> I mean, I don't know exactly what they're saying in the chat because it's it's in Chinese, but like you they can don't probably type. guess. Yeah, they they yeah, don't start just... typing until you spawn camp them, and then like instantly the whole chat's flooded. <laughs> <laughs> Look like a bunch of ramen noodles. <laughs> uh, sorry to any of our Asian listeners. <laughs> Not racist, I swear. <laughs> uh, Victor Molders. Uh, took the official surrender of the town of Aliborg after landing at the local airfield. Still dressed in his flying gear, he was given a lift into the town center by a milkman to find suitable quarters for uh, ZG-1 and the other BF-10 crews. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> in Norway, the BF-110s helped secure the Oslo airport, escorting Junker Ju-52 transports loaded with Falschemjager. The Germans were engaged by several Gloucester gladiators who tried their best and machine guns manned by troops on the ground. In the ensuing battle, both sides end up losing two aircraft. That's it. The Mr. Smith pilots did not know that many earlier waves of transport had turned back uh, for I found they turned back due to bad weather and that the airport was unsecured and landing their cargoes, many troops or many transports were destroyed. The remaining BF-110s still in area strafed the airfields and helped the ground troops take it. The air support provided by the destroyers was instrumental, and it was performed well as a fighter bomber in the coming campaigns. During these battles, a future 100, uh, sorry, a future 110 killed Luftwaffe ace Helmut Lentz scored his fifth and sixth victories against Norwegian oppositions. The yeah, destroyer but the, does that count? <laughs> uh, I mean, they they tried. <laughs> Uh, but I, I I see what you mean. I mean, again, going up against the Gloucester Gladiator, that's... Bless your heart. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, he's you... trying. <laughs> uh, you, you don't come up here to fight, do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, until they hit Malta, then it's like, what are these three gladiators called? Uh, Charity, Hope, and something else. Um, <laughs> you, you know about those gladiators, eh? <laughs> Always tears under. <laughs> uh, the Zestra Rafa, or the destroyer units, performed well when encountered mostly uh, British bombers. On uh, the 13th of June, 1940, 
A squadron of scuba dive bombers was intercepted, trying to reach a reach and bomb the German battleship Schranhorst. A squadron of BF-109s and another of BF-110s shot down uh, eight in as many minutes, with the BF-10s claiming four kills. During uh, July, the RAF made several raids on Norway, and on 9th July 1940, seven out of a force of 12 Bristol Blemens bombing Stavanger were shot down by a mixed force of BF-110s and 109s from uh, ZG-76 and JG-77. Get fucked. I mean, that's awful. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yep. Uh, let's, uh... Sorry, Ed Sneeze. That one with the uh, the wasp. I think I've made a beer. I've got a BF-109 that's got that one on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, not 109. One. Yeah, uh, 110 with uh, yeah. with the, the wasp nose on it. Looks cool. Right, I got one of them in the stash as well. Alright, the Western Campaigns, 1940. Mm. For the attack on the Netherlands, 145 BF-110s were commanded under Brentom von Doring of JG-2. During the campaign, the BF-110 demonstrated its case capabilities as a strike aircraft. On the 10th of May, ZG-1 claimed 26 Dutch aircraft destroyed on the ground. And between 11 and and 13th of May, most of the 82 aerial claims over Belgium were made by the BF-110, encrypt uh, ZG-26. So these things actually did put in a lot of work. Oh yeah, they was the workhorse of uh, the fighter ring for a long time. Good for them. Uh, the BF-110 force also encountered the Swiss Air Force during this period, as several German raids violated Swiss airspace. About five BF-110s were shot down by Swiss BF-109s, which was really the BF-110's only enemy at this time. (laughs) I've read stories about uh, the Swiss shooting down both sides of the war Mm -hmm. (laughs) because they violate airspace. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, damn, the nice guy just doesn't care. The BF-110s participated in Operation Fall Rot, an offensive to destroy the remaining French Air Force in central France. It was to lead to 101 losses for the Luftwaffe, of which just four were BF-110s. No further losses of this type occurred for the remainder of the campaign. So yeah, out of 101 losses during the French campaign, only four was uh, BF-110s. What was the campaign called? Uh, fall Rot, Operation uh, Palu. Pa- pa- fall, Palu? fall of Rot. Fall Rot. F-A-L-L-R-O-T. That's so insulting. Fall of Rot. <laughs> oh my god, imagine that's what your enemy thinks of you. <laughs> no respect, just fucking the Fall of Rot. It's like, god. <laughs> uh, next slide. Ooh, it's pregnant. <laughs> this brings us in the timeline to the BF-110D. <laughs> Should have used protection. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to have a little 109 soon. Aww. <laughs> With experience fighting in Norway, efforts were made to extend the combat range of the 110C. This became the BF-110D Long Range, or the Longstricken. 
Several different external fuel tanks, originally a 320-gallon centerline ventral fuel tank, nicknamed the Dackelbach, or Dashhound Belly, and then later uh, converted down to only 240 gallons. Uh, unfortunately, with cold weather and limited knowledge of fuel vapors, these sometimes exploded. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> uh, just randomly to, uh, Yeah, just randomly combust due to fuel vapors and cold weather. And, yeah. Jesus. Be like, Which, Hans, uh, I can't wait to get back to base, it's so cold. <laughs> 20 seconds later, just evaporated. <laughs> oh, it's so warm now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you cooking sausage, Hans? <laughs> uh, this, you know, unintentional exploding led to unexplained losses during the North Sea patrols. <laughs> and as a result, the air crew uh, came to dislike this version. <laughs> no shit. <laughs> I wonder why. Take us to Africa, yeah. please. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not only was you just randomly combusting, but... Uh, it was also affected the handling greatly. <laughs> <laughs> so you couldn't fly it and you might blow up. Great! <laughs> Since the BF-110 was also, you know, not very maneuverable compared to the 109 to begin with, and, you know, the added rate made this much worse. <laughs> uh, let's see, we have uh, the D-1, which is the long-range uh, destroyer, which is a modified C-series A-frame with uh, the option to carry the Duckle Bach belly tank, and also under ring drop tanks, which was uh, 240 gallons each. We had the D1R1, which was a long range destroyer with the ventral tank and additional, um, oh, able to carry additional drop tanks on the rings. Uh, the which I could not find their gallons. I think they was the paper drop tanks that they used. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then the D1R2, which is another long range, with a droppable 85-liter oil tank under the fuselage instead of the dashhound belly. And then we come to the D2, which is another long range, with uh, two ring-mounted 80-gallon drop tanks and a centerline bomb rack for 1,100-pound bombs. And then the D3, which had a lengthened tail for a rescue dinghy, which... Uh, the D3, that's the picture down to the left. Uh, bottom left. Which looks amazing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, there was a D4, which was a long-range recon. that had the RB5030 cameras, along with a twin-mounted 300-liter uh, drop tanks. I'm not sure where nice. that converts to in gallons off the top of my head. All right. Yeah, that, the one bottom left looks... that Yeah. I think that's that's not German markings. Um, then there is that Danish. I believe that's mm, Danish markings. Might be just looking at the tail and the wings. What the Danes never fought for the Germans. <laughs> well, I'm also just <laughs> looking at looking at the colours. I mean, you got. If they've got, done the colorization right, you've got green, white, and red, but then you've got these, which don't... Usually, this is a mystery. If anyone's watching and they know exactly what this mar these markings are, please let us know, because I want to get some. Because, yeah, 
the yellow nacelles and the uh, the white and shark teeth nose. This looks awesome. Really cool. It it really does. They got the rule of cool. Oh, they do. They win. Whereas this one just looks like a fucking whale. <laughs> it does. It really does. <laughs> all right. This brings us to the Battle of Britain, also known as when it all went downhill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> part one. Part one of when it started going downhill. Well, <laughs> uh, the Battle of Britain revealed the BF One's fatal weakness as a daylight fighter against single-engine aircraft. A mm. relatively large aircraft at four tons, it lacked the agility of the Hurricane and Spitfire, and it was also easily seen. <laughs> <laughs> Furthermore, yeah. though it had a higher top speed than the Hurricanes, it had poor acceleration. It was better suited as a long-range bomber escort than any other aircraft of the time, and did not have the problems of restricted range that hampered the 109. The design excelled at high escort, uh, where the BF-110 squadrons were sent well ahead of the bombers to clear the skies of enemy aircraft, using their speed and firepower advantage in diving attacks to counter the enemy's maneuverability, then breaking contact and climbing away what uh, we here in America would later call in the war the boom and zoom. But the well, BF-110s suffered greatly in close escort, where they were forced to stay with the and lumber alongside the slow JU-88s taking away their tactical edge and forcing them to always respond to the attacking fighters, which never taken by surprise at this time. <laughs> well, because radar as well. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. It's like when they were sent in ahead of the bombers and, you know, early in the Battle of Britain, it's like the they would, you know, scramble the aircraft to take on the BF-110s. And then later the British learns, like, now we'll just wait for the bombers to get here before we scramble. Smart. Uh, I guess the old boom, boom and zoom was also by the British called the the Hun in the Sun. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Let's see, this limitation on tactical flexibility Grainford hampered the ability of the BF-110 to, to counter the enemy. Hermann Goring's nephew, Hans Jankum Goring, was a pilot with ZG-76 flying the BF-110. He was killed in action on the 11th of July, 1940. <laughs> when his BF-110 was shot down by hurricanes of number 87 squadron of the RAF. His aircraft <laughs> ended up crashing into Portland Harbor. Oof. Get fucked, Hans. Yeah. The worst day of the battle for the BF-110 was the 15th of August, 1940, when nearly 30 BF-110s were shot down. Ooh, the equivalent of an entire group. Uh, between the one 16th day. And, that's in one day. Oh. Jesus. The 15th of August. Uh, the equivalent man. of an entire group, yeah. That's, That's demoralizing. Very. Imagine I mean, again, being... Because he was forced to stay with the bomber group. Imagine being one of the pilots that shot those aircraft down. Like, how, like, how much morale booster that would have been. We've <laughs> got these fuckers! <laughs> See, I thought the 110 was um, armored as well. Was it? Yeah, it it was up armored. <laughs> Not good uh, enough. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you're going up against like three o three rounds. You know, it, yeah. Or yeah. So not enough armoring. Not enough armoring. Uh, between the 16th and 17th of August, 23 more aircraft were shot down. Oh. Damn. Uh, 
Then after the 18th of August, there was a marked reduction in the number of Run 10 operations. <laughs> Their seeming absence has often been equated with the simultaneous disappearance uh, from the Battle of the JU-87, but whereas the JU-87 had to be withdrawn because it simply could not survive in the hostile environment over southern England in the late <laughs> summer of 1940, the reason for the decrease in BF-110 activity was, uh, well, it was because they could not keep up with replacing lost aircraft. Get fucked. <laughs> Oh, the last day of August proved to be a rare success for the BF-110, as ZG-26 claimed 13 RAF fighters shot down, with just a loss of 3 aircraft and 5 damaged. Ah, uh, just like in the good old days, boys. Yeah. But then on uh, the 4th, and also again on the 27th of uh, September, 15 BF-110s were lost on each day. The Luftwaffe Ouch. had embarked on the battle with 237 serviceable BF-110s, and at the end of the Battle of Brennan, 223 were lost in combat. Holy oh, shit! That's like almost all their aircraft. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was, you know, some of them, you know, was rode off due to damage or, you know, crashed, uh, you know, trying to land back at the airfield, but... Oh, okay, but still though, fuck, that's a lot of combat power gone. Oh yeah. On the 10th of May of 1941, in a strange episode in the aftermath of the Battle of Britain, Rudolf Hess, the deputy leader of the Nazi party, flew in a BF-110 from Augsburg, uh, north of Munich, to Scotland, apparently in an attempt to broker a peace deal between Germany and Great Britain. Was he shot or down? To... No, no, he uh, parachuted out. What? Oh, you guys never heard about that? No. No. Never. Yeah, Rudolf, Please enlighten dude, us. No. Yeah, I'm actually really curious. Yeah. Let's, yeah, yeah Ru Story Rudolf time. Hess. <laughs> so, Rudolf Hess had it in this head that, you know, Hitler loved him so much <laughs> that he was going to. They say he was going to try to broker a peace deal between Great Britain and, uh, and Germany for Hitler. But. And others say there was more of an attempt to try to turn Scotland and Ireland against uh, against England. That sounds. But you know there was a lot of Irish sentiment against uh, against England, like you know there always have been, but since oh, the beginning of time, yep. But it it didn't work out, and he was in prison for the remainder of the war. Free Scotland. <laughs> Scotland forever. That's what he should have yelled when he got down. And this brings us to the BF-110E. Uh, the production of the BF-110 was put on a low priority in 1941 in an expectation of its replacement by the ME-210. During this time... Yeah, yeah, we all know how that turned out. <laughs> uh, two versions of the 110 were developed, the E and the F models. The E was designed as a fighter-bomber, and able to carry four 110-pound ET ETC-50 racks, or sorry, 500 racks, uh, under the rings, along with a centerline ETC-500 bomb rack. The first E, the BF-110 was, E, was uh, originally powered by the DB-601B engine, but shifted to the DB-601P as they became available in quantity. In total, 856 of the E models were built between August 1940 and January 1942. The E models also had upgraded armor and some fuselage upgrades to support the added rate. 
Most pilots uh, of the BF-110E consider the aircraft slow and unresponsive due to this. Mm. And uh, we had three different versions of the E-Series. The E-1, which had a pair of ET-C-50 uh, bomb racks fitted on the outboard engines. Well, under the outboard engine rings. And an armament as, uh, as the same armament as the C-4, but with the DP-601P engine. Uh, the E-2 had the 601P engine, and the rear fuselage extended, the same as the D-3, you know, for the dinghy. And then we also had an E-3, which is a long-range reconnaissance, uh, with the cannons removed and the RB-5030 camera installed. And uh, the E, along with the F, you know, seen a lot of uh, seen a lot of action in North Africa at that time. Ooh, that looks yeah. cool. That That is a diorama right there. Yes, yes, it oh, is. Oh, definitely. Uh, there's a company, I, th- I want to say it's actually DOS Work. They make the alignment stands. Huh. That's cool. Um, of course, you can probably 3D print them now, too. Or scratch build them. Yeah. Doesn't, doesn't look too difficult. Oh, no, they're pretty, pretty basic. They're just, uh, they're just like house jacks in a way. Uh, the BF-110F featured the new DB-601F engine, which produced 1,331 horsepower, which is almost double the power of the original Jumo engines uh, that was available for the first production runs. Mm, that's not bad. Which, oh, yeah. Which allowed for upgraded armor and stre- strengthening and increased weight with no loss in performance. Three common that's versions of the F model existed. Uh, pilots typically felt that the F to be the best of the 110 line, being fully aerobi... Aer- uh, being fully aerobi... <laughs> you got it. You got it. Uh, you got I feel, this I feel like you now, Callum. <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> uh, you could just cut this out. Uh, being fully aerobatic and in some respects <laughs> smoother to fly than the BF-109. Though just not as fast as the 109. Uh, eventually, 512 of the F models were completed between December of 41 and December of 42, when production gave way to the G model. Of course, we had uh, four different variants of the F. We had the F-1, which is the fighter-bomber. Uh, we had a long-range one, which was uh, mostly used against Allied heavy bombers and shipping. Uh, we had the F-3, which was a long-range reconnaissance. And the F-4, which we got here, which was the first... Uh, Purpose-built night fighter, specifically designed for, uh, you know, for the night fighter role. The other ones, like the the D's, they was uh, uh, just and the and the E's were con- converted for the night fighter role. This one was the first purpose-built night fighter from the factory. Oh, nice! <laughs> I will I will say the night fighter version of the uh, one ten. They do look awesome with that uh, radar on the front. Oh yeah, the. The uh, elks, the elks head. Yeah, yeah. No, they because they did exceptionally well as night fighters, didn't they? It, yes, the pretty much the best night fighter of the war. Mm. I mean, kill rise. I'm, I'm sure. The, I think Black Widow was probably actually the most advanced night fighter of the war, but I think it only ended with like less than a hundred kills before the end of the war. Yeah, yeah. Just because of how late it, you know, entered the theater. Alright, now we get into the Balkan campaigns. Ooh. Uh, the Mizrasmed BF-110C and E's were committed to the invasions of Yugoslavia and Greece in April of uh, 41. 
ZG-26 were uh, deployed to the theater. Once again, the BF-110 encountered foreign-flown Messerschmitt uh, BF-109s, this time belonging to the Yugoslav Air Force. As over Switzerland in 1940, the battles ended in their opponents' favor. On the first day of on the 6th of April, BF-110s of ZG-26 lost five of their numbers in exchange for only two 109s shot down. Over Greece, on the 20th of April, ZG-26 claimed five hurricanes of number uh, 33 and number 80 squadron of the RAF for only two losses of their own. This engagement saw the death of 50 Victory Ace Marmaduke Paddle of number 30, 33 squadron. Also killed in this battle was uh, the Ace... Uh, Lieutenant uh, W.J. Timber Woods of number 80 squadron, who had six uh, and a half kills. Timber was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Again, awesome looking schemes. Yeah, oh, yeah. No, the one ten looks fucking. It just it's just a good looking aircraft. It, it really is. Like they, they won the rule of looks... cool on this one. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, this poor guy is. He's taking bomb. a picture of something else, yeah. The <laughs> <laughs> guy cop looked like he's about ready to piss his pants. <laughs> Hans, move! <laughs> oh, oh, I love this. Oh, I know. Oh, this, know. this looks amazing. This is nice, but this is better. Very. And I this is weird. Agree. Uh, we'll talk about that one in a minute. Oh, God, that does look weird. The fucking roundel. <laughs> Let's see, the North Af- Africa campaigns and the Mediterranean. Uh, the Rashid Ali, 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 I guess he's Muslim, so be Ali. How about uh, saying you're praying, you're not doing too good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, resulting Anglo-Iraqi wars, so the Luftwaffe commit 12 of uh, 4 of ZG-20, uh, committed 12 of ZG-76's BF-110s in the Iraqi nationalist cause as part of the Flyer Command Iraq, or Fliege Führer Iraq. Yeah. The German machines... So wrong. Yeah. <laughs> the German machines reached Iraq in the first week of May 1941. The campaign in the desert would last for 10 days. The... <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't long. <laughs> yeah. Two RAF gladiators were claimed by future night fighter ace Martin Druess, but RAF raids badly damaged two BF-110s on the ground. However, by the 26th of May, no BF-110s were left serviceable and German personnel were evacuated. One BF-110 with work number 4035 was captured by the RAF and test flown as RAF serial number HK846 and called the Bell of Berlin. Based in Cairo in Egypt, it was to be deployed to South Africa as part of a program to train pilots on enemy equipment, but it did not make it crashing in the sedan. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what we got here on the left. This is the Bell of Berlin before it crashed, of course. Uh, Well, good thing I got a picture. (laughs) In the North Africa campaign, the BF-110 acted as a support aircraft for the Yonkers JU-87 Stuka, uh, units in 1941. Nearly 20% of the destroyer's missions were ground attack oriented, and a number of BF 110 aces were lost in aerial combat during this period, and other losses were considerable significantly on the night of 22 23 of May. The BF 110 was pressing night fighter service over the desert. 
Oberlin Lieutenant Alfred Rummer scored three nocturnal kills against Allied bombers in the space of a week. In August 1942, a stalemate between the Allied and Axis forces in North Africa permitted the withdrawal of ZG-26 to Crete uh, for convoy protection instead. During this time, a number of United States Army Air Force's B-24 Liberators were destroyed. On the 29th of September 1942, while on patrol alone, Oberlieutenant Helmut Hawk of ZG-26 engaged a formation of 11 B-24s, uh, shooting down two of the bombers. Uh, by himself, the BF-110 had demonstrated its capability and role. It was excel out over Europe. Yeah, I need some water. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and this brings us to the Eastern Front. Just 51 airworthy BF-110s took part in the initial rounds of Operation Barbarossa, and all were from ZG-26 and ZG-76. The BF-110 rendered uh, valuable support to the German army by carrying out strike missions in the face of very heavy anti-aircraft artillery defenses. A huge number of ground kills were achieved by BF-110 pilots in the east. Some of the most successful was uh, Uber-Lieutenant Edwin Meyer, who received the Knight's Cross on the 20th of December 1941 for 18 aerial victories and 48 aircraft destroyed on the ground. God. As well as two tank kills. <laughs> Bro was fucking getting it. He was, he was after it. <laughs> Yeah. Over Lieutenant Johannes Kiel was credited with 62 aircraft destroyed on the ground, plus 9 tanks and 20 artillery pieces. And he was later credited with a submarine uh, sinking and 3 torpedo boats sink. God sunk. damn! Yeah. Bro took out a whole ass submarine. <laughs> it's like, guys, you'll never believe what I took out today. <laughs> it was just setting there on the surface. <laughs> They came up for Vasa. I don't know what they are doing. <laughs> they at the bottom of the channel now. <laughs> in the far north in the battlefields between Norway and the port of Murmansk, the BF-110 still could claim important successes in the first half of 1942. For example, the destroyer unit deployed there, the JG-5, achieved an important victory on the 10th of May 1942, when six of its BF-110s, which were escorting JU-88s of KG-30, ran into a formation of six Soviet SB-2 bombers escorted by nine Hurricanes of two GSAP. The ensuing dogfight, the destroyer pilots destroyed all nine for only one BF-110 lost. In return, which is a remarkable victory over a Hurricane, especially when they was, you know, in the escort duty of, you know, escorting JU-88s having to stay with them. In the role of ground support... And flowed by a seasoned pilot, the BF-110 was lethal. For example, the ZG-1, Hauptmann Wolfgang Schnick, and his three ringmen repeatedly attacked a column of 50 Soviet vehicles, destroying 30 of them. <laughs> Schnick was, uh, was to achieve 18 aerial victory credits on the destroyer and was awarded oak leaves for his Knight's Cross on 30th October 1942. One of his deputies, Lieutenant Rudolf Scheifel, was awarded the Knight's Cross of the Iron Cross a day earlier for scoring five aerial victories, victories and destroying 50 Soviet tanks during Operation Blau. You know, this was still at the time right after uh, Stalin, you know, purged anybody who knew anything about military leadership. Yeah, fair. <laughs> and then they wondered why, why they, wondered why they didn't do so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And this brings us to the most beautiful, the BF-110G. Although the ME-210 entered service in mid-1941, it was plagued with problems. It was shy. (laughs) And uh, eventually withdrawn from service for future development. In the wake of the failure of the ME-210, the BF-110G was designed. The G model was fitted with the DB-605B engine, producing a whopping 1,677 horsepower. Oh man, that's so fucking good. Oh my god. Flying <laughs> everywhere. So fast. And it, it was. <laughs> uh, the BF-110G also had upgraded nose armament and underwent some changes which improved the aerodynamics of the aircraft. Uh, no BF-110G uh, existed, so the BF-110G2 became the baseline BF-110G. A uh, large number of the... Vrstazviv field conversion packs were available, making the G subtype the most versatile. That was uh, things they could do in the field to upgrade the earlier models to the G G variant. Mm. Upgrading the engines, the armament. The initial batch of six pre-series production G0 aircraft built in June 1942 were followed by 797 G2s, 172 G3s, and 2,293 of the G-4 Night Fighters. Jesus. Damn. Built they between December of 42 and April 1945, pilots reported the BF-110G to be a mixed bag in the air, in part due to all the changes between the G and the F series. The G was considered a superior gun platform with excellent all-around visibility, and considered until the advent of the Heinkel HE-219 to be the Luftwaffe's best night fighter. Of course, we had the G1, which it was not built. Uh, the G2, which was the fighter bomber, uh, often used against uh, heavy bombers and uh, allied shipping, equipped with rockets. Uh, G3 was the long-range reconnaissance version. And the G4, which was the three-crew night fighter with the FUG-202-220 Liechtenstein radar, or uh, LCAD. Uh, the uh, shrag music or jazz music, which was at the this time mounted midway down the uh, down the cockpit, uh, right behind the the pilot and between and in front of the radio operator, and had the cannon muzzles just barely protruding above the canopy glazing. And of course, there was multiple combinations of uh, uh, engine boost, uh, jazz music arrangements, radar arrangements, and forward firing armament during the whole G4 is pretty much up to the ground crew and you know the pilot you know it's like you could could customize your 110 yes it's like as night fighters units uh, grew and through experimentation each pilot kind of you know found out what he liked better that's that's actually kind of cool I like that That is makes for good modeling stuff that as well it's like well then it's like no 110G's never had this. Well, actually, this one pilot. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> you say <Actually>. that. <laughs> yeah. And here is the arrangement of the, the jazz music of how the cannons were protruding through the cockpit there. Who doesn't like a bit of jazz music? Oh, yeah. Spoons. All right. And we're getting into the Nachtjager uh, versions of the I kind of decided to throw this together at the end because, one, it's my favorite. And this was the most successful of the BF-110s. So, due to unacceptable losses during daylight operations in the summer of 1940, 
RAF Bomber Command switched to a night bombing campaign against Germany. Uh, that was the increase in scale and tempo for the remainder of the war. In response, in July 1940, the Luftwaffe created the first Nachtjager squadrons equipped with the Bf-110C. The Bf-110 had a great deal to commend it as a night fighter. Its docile handling made it easy to fly, and its powerful armament made it capable of destroying any RAF bomber. However, it wasn't much faster than the bombers it was sent to intercept, and crews and early night fighters relied on nothing more complex than their own eyesight to find their targets. Jesus. <laughs> oh, we got 2020. <laughs> uh, early Rosenberg tracking radar on the ground would direct a BF-110 towards an RAF bomber, but this could only be attacked if the fighter made visual contact. This worked to an extent on a moonlit night, but it was virtually impossible in dark nights. It was clear that a more effective means of finding targets at night was needed. Initially, a BF-110 were fitted with an innovative spanner anlang, known as the Peeping Tom infrared sensor, in the nose, but this proved to have such short range that it was almost useless. Oh, lovely. <sighs> so, like, and the first... It's like you're basically right up the... Uh, you're steering nose-to-nose with the uh, rear gunner at that point. <laughs> Well, Think like, wait a uh, second, what's that sheen? <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure most uh, most RAF bombers didn't have uh, rear gunners. Yep, they did. Or or belly gunners. Well, wow. uh, so the the main ones that the RAF used the Sterling, the Halifax, and the Lancaster. All three of them had uh, rear tu- uh, tail turrets, and they were usually had at least four 303 Browning machine guns, except for the later version of the Lancaster, which switched them out for a dual 50 cal. Um, yeah, the, none of them had uh, belly um, gunners at all, but they felt like they didn't need them because uh, they also had the dorsal, they all had dorsal turrets, and usually when they were attacked by a night fighter, uh, control went to the gunners, not to the pilot. So the gunners dictated what they did. Uh, one of the, um, I think that one of the maneuvers was to do a slow bank to the right to get the um, the night fighter to try and follow it, and then they'd hard over to the left, and then that way the um, the night fighter was slowing down with them and was trying to turn with them, and that at that point they would drift into the uh, gunner's sights, and they'd have six three hundred threes firing at them. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So you, that's usually how the uh, bomber command. Because then they, because all of them, the front turret, because they all had a, a uh, nose turret as well. They were all used by the bombardier. But of course, once they were over Germany, the bombardier was uh, lying down and looking to mm-hmm. fuck some shit up. So, <laughs> but yeah, they they all had tail turrets. They are. Um, and t- yeah, it turns out for like night fighters, the four three hundred threes were actually fairly decent because they were just sp- they were just spat out. They had a much higher rate of fire than the fifty cows, so they were quite good at just spraying an area. So if they thought that there was a, because uh, usually you could see a night fighter if it was pitch black just from the engine exhaust, which is why the one ten night fighters had a sort of a uh, modified in- exhaust just so you wouldn't see the little yeah. um the fires in them, yeah, like flash hiders. Yeah, basically. Um, so yeah, early, earlier ones you could see those, but yeah, basically it just came down to um, just looking in the dark and seeing if you could see a shadow flying around, or 
Or you usually saw it when the when the you know your mate next to you got lit up by a fucking four twenty mil cannons, and that's usually how you saw them. <laughs> yeah. The too late principle. Yeah. Which uh, you know, early on, it's like you know, uh, the Germans they painted their night fighters black, and then come to realize that you know, it's it's actually makes them easier to see if they're black. <laughs> yeah. Um... Which is uh, why uh, you know, like the. Uh, black Widow was painted painted gloss black because the gloss was harder to see than uh, flat black. Yeah, it actually um, reflected more like, you know, it was reflective like the night sky, not matte, which absorbed it sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I think the Black Widow was originally Science. painted olive drab. Like the very first one. Yeah, I think ones. it was. It it looks, olive drab Widow. It looks weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's not, that's not right. That's not right. Uh, the first BF-110 to be designed specifically as a night fighter was the F-4. It entered service in late summer of 42, equipped with the FUG-202 Liechtenstein air intercept radar. This prov- proved to be much more effective uh, for night fighters, and soon after, the BF-110 F-4U-1 was introduced, featuring not just the air intercept radar, but also the new jazz music ripping system. This comprised of, you know, of course, the pair of upward firing MG FF 22mm cannons. Uh, one of the most notable actions of the BF 110 occurred on the night of 17th, 18th of August 1943. Some BF 110 units had been equipped with the exper- experimental jazz music system and emplacement. Uh, let's see, where? I lost my place on my notes. Sorry. <laughs> all good. All good. Happens all the time. Uh, yeah, because I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, we are a very, very professional podcast, and um, one hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on this night, NJG uh, Five's Lieutenant Peter Erdhart destroyed four bombers in thirty minutes. Despite uh, excellent visibility, none of the RAF bombers had reported anything unusual that would indicate a new weapon or tactics in German night fighter forces. This <laughs> ignorance was compounded by the traceless ammunition used by the BF-110, as well as firing on the British bombers' blind spots. Many RAF crews witnessed a sudden explosion of friendly aircraft, but assumed so- in some cases it was very accurate flak. Uh, uh, that that would Ger- be some accurate flak, Jesus. <laughs> very accurate flak. <laughs> I think that's given the Germans a bit too much credit. Uh, yeah, they could hardly do that into the daytime. Jesus Christ. A few of the German fighters were seen, let alone fired on. Later on, as the specialist uh, BF-110G4s were received by knife fighter rings, the mid-cockpit-mounted jazz music was replaced by one at the extreme rear of the cabin. Uh, the BF-110G2 was introduced in early 1943. It featured updated DB605B engines and replacement of the MGFF cannon in the nose with two Mauser MG151 20mm cannons. And the single machine gun in the rear cockpit was replaced with a rapid-firing pair of MG81 machine guns. Uh, these aircraft began to reach the frontline units in early 45, and variants included the improved Liechtenstein C1 air intercept radar. Uh, which uh, detected and the Rosendahl hobble system, which detected emissions from the moniker tail warning radar fitted to some RAF bombers. 
Wait, so the same same thing a, that they, the, they had a tail warning system. Yeah, uh, later in the war, it's like they um, RAF had a warning system the tail tried to detect uh, approaching aircraft from behind. That's cool. I didn't didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that either. And then, of course, uh, this uh, system picked up on that signature, so that was just <laughs> more instead of like, hey, there's something behind us, like, hey, hey there's I'm a bomber over, over there. <laughs> it's yeah. like, hey, I'm over here. Come shoot me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the BF-110 proved to be the most lethal of all the knife fighters used by the Luftwaffe. Very few were shot down this rail, with most losses coming from mid-air collisions with the bombers <laughs> that they were trying to shoot down. Uh, <laughs> Landing accidents on blacked-out airfields, or damage caused by a German anti-aircraft fire. Oh, awesome! Because <laughs> you know they was—it's like the flak batteries wouldn't stop firing just because night fighter units was in the air and later in the war. They wanted to have their shot as well. Yeah, anything to stop you know to stop the bombers. At one point, it was estimated own. that thirty British bombers were being destroyed for every BF one ten night fighter lost. Oof. A kill ratio rarely equaled by any other aircraft type during the war. As a result of this success, production of the BF-110 increased with over 1,500 being delivered in 1943 and a similar number in 1944. It is believed that the 110 destroyed more British bombers at night than any other type. Heinz Wolfgang Schnaff destroyed 121 British bombers himself, including nine Lancasters destroyed in a single night. Making him Jeez. the most successful night fighter ace ever. All his skills was achieved by flying variants of the BF-110. God damn. Good for him. Oh, there was many aces with over 100, uh, 100 kills in the night fighter units. I wonder what that did to them, like, psychologically. Like, every time they got an aircraft, you know? I mean, you have to think, it's like, not all of them made, made it, I mean... Let's see, what was 121 kills, what, six, uh, six, seven servicemen in each bomber? Oh, God, that's a lot of fucking dudes to kill. Yeah. I mean, they uh, never actually saw the people, but still, just the psychological effect of that. I mean, and you know not all of them bailed out and made it. <laughs> oh, hell no. And how, would you like to, how would you like to bail out into the middle of the city you're just bombing? Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, hey guys, how's it going? Nice night we're having, eh? Hey. <laughs> a lovely fire. Oh, I think I caused that one. <laughs> <laughs> I so promise who... I'm here against my will. <laughs> <laughs> so who's not going into work tomorrow? <laughs> because of me. Uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Long weekend. <laughs> <laughs> right before it's he was a... lynched. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> In September of 1943, Arthur Harris, convinced that a strategic bombing campaign against Germany's cities would force a German collapse, pressed for further mass attacks while RAF Bomber Command destroyed Hanover City Center and 86% of crews dropped their bombs within three miles of the aiming point. Losses were severe. The Rhine area was the prime target of British bombers in 43, and German defenses inflicted a considerable loss rate. The BF-110 had a hand in destruction of some 2,751 RAF bombers in 1943 alone. God. Yeah. That is insane. And they just kept coming. <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? It's just like the Eastern Front. Yeah. Along with the German flak and other night fighters, 
the RAF to oh sorry that's uh, two two thousand seven hundred fifty one RAF bombers uh, combined with the German flak and uh, other night fighters. So that wasn't just BF one tens alone. That oh, was okay. the whole. That was the whole effort. <laughs> still, still, that's a yeah. lot of fucking aircraft. Yeah. Uh, the RAF developed a radar countermeasure called Window to blind German radar and introduced the de Havilland Mosquito to fly feints and divert the BF-110s and other night fighter forces from the true target. Which worked initially, but at this time the BF-110 remained the backbone of the night force, although it was now being reinforced by the Junkers Ju-88 in October 1943, General uh, Joseph Kamahubert <laughs> <laughs> reported the climbing attrition rate is unacceptable and urged Hermann Göring to stop committing the German night fighter force to daylight operations. Uh, many of the night fighters had taken part in costly daylight battles of attrition against American bombers from June to August in a uh, 1943. It had increased from around 2% to 9.8% attrition rate. However, the fortunes for the for most BF-110 equipped uh, forces turned during late August, September 1943. The night fighter arm claimed the destruction of 123 out of some 1,179 bombers over Hamburg on one night, a 7.2% loss rate. During the Battle of Berlin, 1,128 bombers were lost in five months. RAF Bomber Command had nearly burned out, but these losses were primarily a result of fire defenses at the heart of which was the BF-110. The German defenses, defenses have won a victory which prevented deep penetration raids for a time. And then 45 came around and... It all went to hell. <laughs> and that was the BF-110. Oh! Uh, and if you want to build a model, the, my opinion, the best kits are made by Dragon, which, well, Dragon and Edward, which uh, Dragon is uh, the owner of Ring Tech Cyber Hobby. So, you, is it? They got to, yeah. Yeah, Cyber Hobby is uh is Dragon. Huh. Okay, so what do we and, got here? We've got the one one ten D Nachtjäger. I got a. S- so this would have been late later war, like a D converted into a night fighter, would it? Yes. Okay, so because what we have here in the background is a handily page Hampton, which at that point had been withdrawn. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. yeah, little little issue with that box art, but otherwise. So what have we got? We also got uh, Edard do a whole bunch in 148th, and they're supposed to be really good kits. Oh yeah, if you want a 148 kit or 172nd, uh, definitely go with uh, Edward. If you want to build a uh, Dockelbach uh, in 148, then go with the Dragon. If you want to do 132nd, Dragon's the only one that offers them, but they are really nice. I did. I have and seen then, one online. Uh, on trade me and it was being sold for like fifty dollars. Yeah, and then uh, of course you got uh, some the older manufacturers that really un, you know outdated kits like Airfix. Uh, uh, Re- Revel uh, has some really old pigs. Uh, Fujimi has some as well, and I think Hasagawa has a, a couple old ones. 
See, I know I've got I've got one in this one, this scheme, 70 second scale, but it's got the wasp nose and everything. I cannot, for the life of me, think of what company it was. I can picture the box art. I mean, this is, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16... <laughs> 17, 20 years ago? You can do it. You can do it. Oh, jeez. I want to say 20 years ago I built it, and I can picture the box art, but I cannot picture, like, who it was. But I've got I've got a BF-110 in, uh, in with the, the wasp nose, and it came with, I think I've got rockets on mine. Okay, so it was probably anti-shipping then? I think so. I can't. I can picture the box art. It was like it was definitely the the wasp nose. It was a grey scheme. That's all. That's all I can remember. If I find, if I ever find it, I'll be happy because what I'm trying to what I'm trying to do is I've got literally all the kits that I built from when I was five to thirteen. Oh. And some of them I know exactly which ones they are because I recognize I recognize I remember the box box art. So like you know my Avenger is the Academy one. Um. Yeah, Avengers the Academy, the Wildcat is Academy One as well. Yes, yeah, so I remember. I'm, I remember those, but I'm trying to remember the rest of them, just so I can like get those kits and then you know do them now. You know, build build them oh, now yeah, and yeah. like see the difference. There won't be much, but you know, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, otherwise. Just a really cool aircraft. Oh yeah, it is my favorite uh, German fighter. Yeah, it is. Oh. It is just beautiful looking. I will say this for uh, anti-shipping rockets. Did you? Do you guys know just how um, the RAF did this? I'll just do a little story time. No, I'll no. get in. I'll get into. The, I'll get into the nitty gritty of it in another episode that I'm planning. But most of the strikes were actually done underwater. Really. Yeah, so one of the th- the ways that they did it is they had, say, I'm just going to draw it on this. The people watching won't see it, but oh well. <laughs> but like, you had the you had the side of the... Sh- hang on. Nope. We will leave in you. Erase that. So you had, like, you know, that's, say, the side profile of the ship, and then that's water. <laughs> so they tried to get it, so... Because what rockets would do is they go down like that, Right. But mm-hmm. if they hit the water, they'll do that. And what you try and do is you had four rockets. You try and get at least two of them to go underwater, one to hit the side, and then one to do damage on the top. So be oh, okay. four, uh, four salvos of two. You're trying to get two underwater to breach the waterline, one above the waterline, and then one, you know, you're trying to get it to strike along there, or you try and get most of yours underwater. But let, yeah, a lot of the time, they go down, hit the water, and then level out, and then just go straight because they had enough, you know, they had propulsion to do it. Mm-hmm. But there's something I'll get into in a later date because I, I watched a video on it was an RAF instructional video from back then uh, of bow fighters uh, in Coastal Command and how they do rocket attacks. It was I'll, if I, I'll find it and I'll send it to you guys because it's super cool to watch. But that's the basic principle they were after, and I, it was something I never actually. I just thought, you know ship you just try and put rockets onto the top of it but no there was a science on how you approach how you approach it and where you 
ideally trying to um, hit it. And so brings about an intermission. So big cheers to uh, Clint. This was your second? Third or second? Uh, Second. Second, and we know you've got uh, another one in the works at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, first one was the uh, 251. That's right. What what's the other one you're working on at the moment? Uh, it started out as the Puma, but now I'm kind of going into just all German six-wheeled vehicles. Oh, nice! That would be cool. So. But until then, we're just going to have a brief intermission, and then we'll be back with hobby news and whips and group build announcements and all that bollocks. So we'll be right back. And we are back, and we are starting off, as usual, with the good old hobby news. So I think there's some good ones in this week, so let's go find out. First up, better than last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so first off, if only Dennis was here, uh, we have an Armour Hobby uh, 148 Sea Hurricane Mark 2C. Uh, these are the Hurricanes used by the uh, Fleet Air Arm. And... Basically, it's just a standard Hurricane, but it has a um, arrestor hook. It's got four 20 millimeter cannons. It has the awesome-looking uh, white, uh, white-based uh, Coastal Command and Fleet Air um, camouflage. The box art looks amazing. It's just shot down a uh, what is that? It's um, some kind of aircraft. It's a Junkers Ju. I want to say 370 or 270. 270. Yes. It's a 270, I think. The big one. Either way, it looks cool. That's not even the big one. I think the biggest one, you've got the Junker, the JU 270, 370, and 470. And I think the 470 was a, proto- was a prototype only, and it had six engines. Okay. Yeah. And a really... and. A, and they were used for a cargo as well, and it had a really cool cargo loading system. So, But either way, uh, we're looking at the Hurricane. So it's uh, 48 scale, 3D printed parts included. Would be a very good kit. I would love to get my hands on one. I am so glad there is a Sea Hurricane out there now. I'm loving this Hurricane. The year, the, the time of the Hurricane, I love it. Although painting, painting the white would be a bitch and a half. Yeah. Pink primer. <laughs> up next from hobby boss we have first off in 1 to 35th scale a feisler fi 156u storch i think it's storch or uh, storch yeah storch it's a storch as as well as a 148 scale hurricane mark 2c tropical again with the hurricanes and i'm very happy about uh that storch in 35th scale will be massive the aircraft itself is ginormous um like a lot bigger than you think it is oh yeah it's got a it was a short takeoff and landing oh yeah it's it's got a lot of ring area have you have you seen it do a short takeoff and landing like in real life no i came across a video of warbirds taking off and doing that and like the storch was i don't know needed 20 feet (laughs) and it was in the air Damn. 10 feet to land. It was like, it, it literally, the runway, it lifted off and then glided, dropped down, landed, stopped, lifted off again, and it used up like a third of the runway. <laughs> like Dude, it was that's, that's what they need on aircraft carriers. Jesus. 
This is also the aircraft they used uh, Mussolini. when they rescued Mussolini. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I built the uh, Academy 72nd scale Storch, and I hate that kit, and I had... I hated the aircraft for a long time because of that. It was a bitch of an air, a bitch of a kit, but uh, either way, thirty uh, fifth scale would probably be pretty cool. Although masking the canopy would be a well, yeah, yeah, it's a bitch uh, and a half. Get the get the Tamiya one, and it's, of course it's one forty eight, but it comes with a the Tamiya mask already. Oh, nice! So, and is a great looking looking aircraft. Mm. Um. Up. Well, I'll say that you think it'd be the same scale, same size as say the L two Grasshopper or something. You know, the the American little mm-hmm. thing. It's like twice the size. It's oh massive. yeah. Mm. And all uh, three people in it. Yeah. Or half of gearing. Is that? <laughs> oh, uh, that's a ship. Up next, uh, by Hobby Boss as well, we are getting a one seven hundred SS Olympic. Uh, with in World War One troop carrier dazzle scheme, so this the Olympic was the sa- the sister ship to the Titanic, as mm-hmm. part of those old school super carriers that uh, super liners they called them. Uh, mm-hmm. The Olympic had a long history; it went through both world wars. <clears throat> uh, this is it uh, during the First World War when it was used as a troop carrier to get uh, troops from Canada and the U.S. over to Europe. So, I thought I'd include it in because it is a war one and. That cat, the uh, Dazzle scheme looks awesome. It's very different. If only only Dennis was here as well. From Hobby Japan, a Japan ground self-defense force Type 74G MBT. Uh, Great looking tank, great looking kit. And this is is the fifth series in the Hobby Japan model kit. So if anyone has built anything from Hobby Japan, please let us know. I'd be keen to see what they're like. Up next from Zukimura, 48 scale again. We have an F4E Late Phantom 2. This is part of the Super Wing series. And this has a scheme celebrating 30 years of Phantoms. And it looks awesome. I really want to get myself an F4 Phantom. although. The one I want is a Vietnam, uh, the Vietnam ones, uh, probably as a wild weasel. But looks great. I think this is mainly a rebox with new decals, but I don't care because it looks cool. Oh, yeah. And I also, the... uh, Zuki Mora are supposed to be a really good company, aren't they? Oh, they are. I built their uh, Vietnam D, and it was a dream of a kit to put together. Yeah, I'd love to have that kit. Up next from Trumpeter in one three fifty scale, a French light cruiser, the Georges Georges Lagos. I don't know. It's French. You can do it, buddy. I believe in you. Well, at least someone does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much about Trumpeter three fifty scale, but uh, I've heard mixed reviews. So I will say it is a very cool looking ship. Also from Trumpeter in 48 scale, we're getting an a MI-24P Hind F. Uh, this has got new decals for, uh, didn't elaborate what Air Force, but it's grey and looks cool. And also it's just, a, well, it's a, it's a Hind. Hinds are cool. Oh, yeah. And I think the 24P variant is the one that doesn't have the, twin, the 23mm cannon as a uh, flexible mount. It has two, you can see just down here, 
uh, twin barrels there mounted to the side of the um, fuselage and aimed by the pilot, not by the gunner. But Callum, then it was made by the Russians. And occasionally they do something cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, from Rodin, we're getting the 135th no. scale vote. What? No. No. No to Rodin. <laughs> <laughs> a Vomag Omnibus 70R660 so they released this in 72nd uh, now they're releasing it in 35th scale uh, an ugly company and an ugly it's, uh, it's so ugly it, it's hideous isn't it it yeah. just doesn't look right dude no it's I, I would say if if I bought that it w- it's 35th scale, so I would, like, make it destroyed in, like, Berlin or something with infantry fighting over it to make it look cool, because anything else is just going to be like, no. Yeah. yeah. Even then, it's, like, as shitty as Rodin is, it's, like, you probably still couldn't build it, destroy it. <laughs> <laughs> no such no such thing as uh, accidentally build it bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from Special Hobby in 72nd scale, we're getting a Breda BA-88B Lintz, or Deuces Bomber. This is an Italian twin-engined light bomber. It's got uh, two occupants, a pilot and a gunner. And it looks incredibly round. Looks it's incredibly <laughs> German. Uh, it's Italian. Yeah, yeah, definitely Italian. Oh, I know, but it yeah. just looks German. I think it looks like the Italian's BF-110. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I'd love it. It ate too much spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> Goring's, uh, Goring sat, sat in it once. <laughs> no, 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 that, 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 that's his personal aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> the only way to get him inside. <laughs> uh, anyway. From Models Fit. A Mirage 2000C and 72nd scale, uh, mainly including this just because it has an awesome-looking decal set to it with the uh, tiger lo- tiger on the tail and everything. It just looks awesome. That would be an amazing HIDF scheme. <laughs> Honestly, the Mirage 2000C being in the HIDF is not outside of the realms of possibility, to be honest. A lot of, con- a lot of countries use them. They just it just looks good. Like it's just good looking aircraft. Yeah. Uh from uh, oh! first to fight, it is in seventy second scale. And a French a French reconnaissance tank, the AMR thirty five ZTIB. This is sort of this is along the lines of the R thirty five, but it has got a different turret. It's slightly different. Like there's a lot of like the AMR and the R35, very, very similar in a lot of ways. Didn't, uh, didn't we cover this in that uh, R35 episode or a Sharpie One episode or whatever? It'll be in the R35, I think it will be. But it's a cool, it's a cool looking tank. It is. Mm-hmm. It'd be really cool to see it like with the crew captured by the Germans. Yeah, a little <laughs> vignette. <laughs> uh, next from Kinetic, uh, 148 scale. This is mainly a new parts and new decals, but I want to include it. F-16B Viper in Royal Danish Air Force um, liveries. Uh, so, twin engine, uh, twin twin seater uh, F-16 looks cool. Uh, kinetic, uh, pretty good. Are they? I've never had experience with them. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
I have a feeling new kinetic is good, old kinetic is not so good. I'm not sure. I've heard I keep hearing mixed things about it, so I'm not every time I see a kinetic kit, I'm not sure. I'll buy one to find out. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly for Garrison, uh an Alpine in, from Alpine Miniatures in sixteenth scale, an Alamo Scout US six army used in the these guys were in the Pacific Theatre. So we're getting uh Pacific themed uh, figures, Garrison. Just the wrong scale. <laughs> yeah, I know it's in sixteen scale, but I would love to have one just to just because it looks really good, and it'll be yeah, real. It'll, it'll be cool to try and do the uh, the camo scheme in sixteenth. Yeah. I've seen a. There's a guy on Instagram currently building this exact model, and uh, it, it's looking really good. I, th- I actually thought of you when I saw it. I mean, sixteenth scale figures are worth trying at least once. They are quite good. I mean, they're good for just, like, trying out um, skin tones and stuff like that. Hmm. But also just sort of the hyper, the more detailed, the, you know, more detailed than a 35th, so. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But it looks cool. It's Pacific themed. Um, we do have a Pacific theater group build coming up, so, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And that's it. That's all we got for the, uh, well, that's what we deem interesting for this week. Now we'll move on to the uh, the old whips because I know Garrison and Clint have been working on something. I haven't. I haven't worked on anything for about a week because I've run out of supplies. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, I know. Who's first? Uh, I am. Plenty. It's uh, work I've been doing to the two two two. This is from Hobby Boss, which actually isn't a Hobby Boss kit. It's an old uh, TriMaster kit, which. For a kit that came out in the 80s, it is excellent. Is it in the second or third trimester right now? (laughs) 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 Took me a second there. (laughs) (laughs) I've been uh, making the lifting fixtures to go on it, and then, um, of course, the work I've been doing to weathering the ship uh, backdrop. Looks awesome. And that's very much. Have you figured out how you're going to display it with the? Because uh, these look cool. The um, the lifting uh, things you've done. Any idea how you're going to do that yet, or still working it out? Uh, still working it out. Well, you've like got I to... want to suspend it while it's in the air. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I might just you know have it on the ground like it just dropped, but. I think yeah, it's a, suspend, we'll suspended up by like an inch. Yeah. You know, and then just figure it out, I guess. <laughs> I got no <laughs> suggestions. <laughs> yeah, you know, just figure it out. You know, just, just, just just, do it. You know, just just, yeah. just, just do it, mate. You'll, you'll be fine. Yeah, well, what's the problem here? Just, yeah. you know, yeah, do just, it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't see an issue. <laughs> uh, that looks awesome. That's looking awesome at the moment, man. That's really cool. Yeah, I love the uh, the whole ship side there because the amount of work you put into just doing the fucking rivets, yeah, uh, and then <laughs> that, making it look like a real ship side is just really yeah. cool. And the you know the two two twos. Also, like the weathering just looks fun. It looks like oh yeah, looks r- relaxing. It it's Candyland. Right. <laughs> uh, I cannot wait to get this thing fucking primed. Oh my god, <sighs> it still looks like the Soviet Russian Barbie Dreamhouse. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Barbie goes to Moscow. 
Ken gets drafted. (laughs) (laughs) Ken wrote something on Facebook once. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, this is going to be the uh, Swedish downtown area in this uh, village. What if Cold War? Been working on the buildings. I... Right now, I'm, I'm working on part of the inside, but I took these right before intermission. I got the siding on the building, so it's basically supposed to be like concrete slabs on the exterior with uh, bricks on the inside. Um, of course, it'll be like wallpaper and shit like that, but um, with the exception of carving out the bricks on where the explosions have happened and then adding the uh, brackets to hold up the uh, gutters and the drains. The exterior is done. Uh, and then, of course, I have the street lamp I got attached once it's uh, all painted. But uh, Yeah, pretty fun doing all that. It's looking very nice. nice. You're very good at interior decoration. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, well then, uh, there's STRV. Not too much has happened, uh, since I last showed you guys, but I, I did, on the bottom right, there's just a little bit of chipping, just a tad here, because you won't, you won't be able to see it, but I just wanted to add it, just because, then I added two antennas, which are .008, uh, gauge guitar string, and then just showing the, uh, the drainage pipe there on the bottom left, and then the STRV's current state right now. I'll have to mask off the let's see all the tools the track the the extra tracks and then uh the machine gun on the commander's cupola and then uh i'll be able to what's the word uh whitewash it once i get the decals on but i'm waiting for camo netting to come in the mail this week before i start that so oh cool very nice what happened there with the blue uh, I accidentally got like literally like the smallest tab of blue on my uh, thumb when I was painting, and like <laughs> I was steadying the STRV for a solid like minute trying to paint the uh, the axe handles there by the barrel, and then I lifted my finger, didn't realize it until like I uh, I grabbed it was the tracks I grabbed, uh, like the rubber band tracks to start painting those, and I got blue on them. I'm like what the fuck? I looked over and there's just a blue smudge. It was like twice as big, but you know, trying to get it off with uh, a little bit of warm water and some scrubbing. I got about half of it off, but I left that bit, and I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna whitewash it anyways. I'll just make sure to, you know, not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll make sure the came in and goes over that just in case it shows through the whitewash. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's you don't a, use that's hairspray a... or. Yeah, yeah, the wife got me a brand new thing of, of hairspray to do, because my bottle was fucking, just like, wasn't putting anything out, there was hardly anything in it, so, just gonna, I'll do the decals, and then, I'll gloss coat, decals, matte coat, hairspray, whitewash, or spray white, whitewash, and then pin wash and weather, and then it'll be done. Hell yeah. But that's going to take about three weeks, probably, because I want to do some nice mud work on the uh, undercarriage. That's why I've left the wheels off right now. Um, really want to try to, to work on that. Um, but yeah, my goal is to get this whole diorama done by sometime in April. I think it's mid-April. We've got a diorama sh- or a model show here in town 
uh, at our local hobby store for the spring. So I'm going to take this and enter it. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Mm. Oh. Very cool. That uh, yeah, The STRV is looking awesome. Thank you. It's uh, I've definitely fallen in love with the look of it, and researching <laughs> about the tank is just fucking such a cool tank. It's literally like the the older or the newest newer version of the Stug. It is so yeah. fucking cool. Makes me want to build a Stug, which I've got one in the stash. That I'm eventually going to build. All right, Garrison. We got uh, this is the last week of it, isn't it? Uh, today's the twenty. Yep, the last week of it. So the next episode should be going over the submissions and shit. Mm, we might give it another week just to get let people like submit it because I've got until the first to be fi- to build it. So oh, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we'll probably. Um, <coughs> uh, so what we're talking about, of course, is the uh, North Africa campaign group build uh, that finishes next week. So. Uh, people like Clint need to um, hurry up and just do it. Um, figure shit <laughs> out. Uh, <laughs> it's almost there. But you got you got a you got about a week left to get things finished and then get it all submitted and then uh, we'll give everyone like I don't know a week after the March first to um, submit them and then we'll look into judging and doing the recap for those. So yeah, you guys got about a week left. So. Uh, we've just had one new uh, submission from Nick Scale Armorer today. That thing looks amazing. Oh yeah, it does. Oh yeah, like yeah, he just yeah, that one is that's a hard to beat one. That was seriously good. There, there's some really good models coming out of this one. So, the, oh yeah, it's, it's going to be a hard one to judge. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited. Sure. I'm excited to judge it. Yeah, it's going to be oh, so cool. Too. Likewise, yep. And then uh, the newer, newest group build coming out, one of the two uh, that we were going to be doing. This is the Pacific Theater group build starting March 1st, ending September 1st. Uh, kind of same rules apply as the North Africa group build. Uh, one prize at the end and all that stuff. I'll be getting the, uh, the Discord slides up for it or the category and channels up for it here soon. But yeah, anything to do with the Pacific War pacific theater during world war ii is absolutely uh you know you go for it ships aircraft infantry tanks uh scenery whatever the fuck you want to do go for it um yeah very excited for that one actually i've got some very very nice i got a little bit of news about the one i'm gonna do garrison you know how i've been trying to find um u.s marines figures i realized the other day i have some oh yeah uh, you you know the the uh, trailer that I got for the M one one three. Oh yeah, that User, kit. Yeah, that kit. It's got three Marines in it. <laughs> that those figures suck. I built those. Yes, I know. I'm trying to build one now, just as practice. But considering that at least half of them is going to be hidden by the mountain, I think I should be all right. So the guy that's got the M the M uh, one carbine, I think, will do the trick. So it's not going to be an exact replica of the photo I've got, but It'll be a, you know, a very close good inspiration. Yeah, close enough inspiration sort of thing. So, but yeah, I have literally got everything all sorted out to start building that. So I really can't wait till, wait for the first of March. That's going to be uh, fun. Oh fuck Sounds yeah! Good. 
Yeah, I've got a. Let's see. It's the Dragon uh, Tarwa Sherman. Oh, yeah. Metal yep. barrel and resin parts. I've got a Master Box um, infantry set from Tarwa from the Marines. I got a Tamiya infantry set for the Japanese. Then I'll be getting some resin and photo etched palm trees and some more figures from AliExpress. I've already got a bunker from the Pacific Theater that's resin. Um, I just got to get some decals for the tank and uh, a couple extra things, but I'm very excited to do mine as well. Clint, what are you, uh, what are you doing for yours? No idea. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Better right. think fast though. Yes, all, yeah. All, yeah, all got six months. <laughs> all podcast members have to, have to be in the pod in the group build. No, that's a lie actually. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> but, but Pacific one definitely should be. I mean, you got five months to do it in. Six, five. Oh, yeah. I got something. I just don't know what yet. Yeah. March, April, March, April, May, June, July. August. Yeah, six months. Yeah, because I got I got two other things that I might build at the same time, just as a part of it. But I've got the uh, the two M8 Scots Scott kits. Mm. One's going to be European. The other one's going to be Pacific Theater. I just got to find decals for it. Oh huh. uh, yeah, yeah. I got a. Because I got the FTRV. Yeah, we're doing that forty-eight hour group build. So, yeah, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, got that one, and then the Ukraine stuff. I want to keep working on once those are done after the Pacific. Yeah, actually, I need to do that announcement as well some next week. So don't let me forget because we got that's that's on the eighth of March. Yeah, mm. so that's pretty close. I need to really catch up with those guys about that. But because um, what I was thinking with my mate Scott is. Clint's uh, Type 97. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, looking at it, I could probably get the dimensions off one side of it and then make my diorama as an addition to it. Oh. Or at least try to, you know, like, I'm on the other side of the world, but see if if we ever do meet up and, and I take it <laughs> and see if we can just slide them together and they fit. That'd be cool. Yeah. That would be cool. But we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> well, uh, alongside the Pacific Group build, which has both competition and recreational submission options, we have the Science Fiction Group build, which is purely for fun. Uh, no prize, no, you know, none of that stuff. It's just for fun. Uh, but anything sci-fi related could be Star Wars, Star Trek, that, uh, you know, anything you want to do. Um, but yeah, lots of fun there. Good options, and uh, hoping to see, hoping to see some good submissions. Even though it's just a recreation, we always love to see new new stuff. Absolutely. And of course, once you've finished listening to this, go check out all the other podcasts. Uh, I'll definitely say go check out Modeling Insanity. I've been chatting with those guys quite a bit, and they are pretty cool. But then. Check out the others on the bench. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had Ian Kizias from On the Bench on, so go check them out. Plastic Posse, Small Subjects, Plastic Mo- Model Mojo, Sprue Cutters, Model Bike Arpoden, Model Geeks, Just Making Conversation, Am Show, and Built Sideways. Go check them all out. Since we're at the end of the episode, we've got to thank our Patreons. They are Paul Gallagher, Lord Floki, Robert Judson, and Robert Brisbane. You guys help keep the lights on and uh, support the uh, show. So you guys get access to all the stuff that can't go on YouTube, like a certain little story <laughs> this, at the start of this episode. I'll 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to blank out the the you know <laughs> certain things of it, and you'll have if you want the uncensored censored version, you're going to have to go up onto Patreon to uh, listen to that because maybe we should do um, a segment of uh, like out of pocket stories from my time in the Marine Corps. <laughs> we'll, we'll do that. We'll do a story a, a story time story time with Garrison. Yeah. <laughs> Some uh, wild shit. <laughs> I bet. I really bet. But big thanks to everyone, and uh, yeah. So, any last remarks, requests, questions answered, anything like that from you two? Uh, if you haven't, please join our Discord. Enjoy the fun community we got. Uh, join the group builds, and uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for being a part of our community. Clint, anything to add? Yeah, don't buy any rodent kit ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best thing you could have said right there, brother. <laughs> well then, if you have made it this far, you Watch have been soul. you have been watching and listening to the Micro Machines podcast. We thank you for your time and attention. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll catch you next time. See you later. Peace. Peace.